Um, tonight, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Psalm 145, and you can kind of hold that there. We're going to get to that in just a second, Psalm 145. Uh, we've said this every time we've gathered, which is um, twice now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, let us know, because we know people, and we can get you a Bible. And we think that it's very important if you are going to have a transformational relationship with Jesus Christ, a Bible is a very important part of the process. And many of you know, uh, I had the joy of buying a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's my age, and I won't say what that is. Uh, his first real Bible this last week. And I joked with him for the, the last two weeks leading up to it, I was going to get him a nice big women's devotional Bible with flowers all over it and beautiful pink handwriting on it. But uh, it's a pretty big deal to say, you know what, I want to understand who God is and grow in this relationship more. And a Bible is one of the ways that you can do that. So if you have one, open to Psalm 145. If you don't, let us know or bring it next week because uh, that's what we're basing our teaching on is God's Word, the Bible. So Psalm 145 is where you can camp out there. And for the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be exploring this idea of what it means to have an extraordinary life. What does it mean to live life well? I'm not texting while I do this. I'm actually putting a timer on here because Soul City Kids yelled at me for going long last week. Uh, we are going to look at what it means to have an extraordinary life. What does it mean to not suffer the ordinary in our life? What does it mean to truly live life as you were actually created and intended by God to do, to be? And we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what does it mean to have extraordinary relationships? What does it mean to truly live an extraordinary life using the gifts and abilities God's given you? But we start this week by looking at a God who's truly extraordinary. And my hunch is, my belief is that you really cannot live an extraordinary life unless you know and have a relationship with an extraordinary God. Now you can be interesting, maybe even fascinating, but to be truly extraordinary, you have to know and have a relationship with an extraordinary God. And we believe, as Jeannie said, bottom line, what's the thing we are most passionate about is about leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. That you would know Him and you would have this relationship with an extraordinary God. And my hunch is, for many of us, the reason our lives are less than extraordinary is because we have created somewhere for ourselves along the way a God who is less than extraordinary. And so we're going to camp out on that tonight using Psalm 145 as our central text. What does it mean to know and have a relationship with an extraordinary God? Because the truth is, none of us want to be ordinary. No one strives for ordinary, and yet somehow we settle for that. We long for something greater and more interesting, more dynamic about our lives. No one ascribes or strives to beige. That doesn't move anything or move anyone, right? We want our lives to be interesting, dynamic. It's, it's why you you know, have the, the, live where you live. It's in the neighborhood that you live in. The fact that you even live in Chicago, for those of us who live in the city of Chicago, you know that it's not easy to live in the city, but it's fascinating. And so you want to be in the mix of that. From the car you drive or want to drive or the fact that you don't even drive a car because you ride a bike and it's a fixed gear bike and you are extraordinary about that. Right? Like the, everything about us, to so the music you listen to, to the thing you listen to your music on, all of it in some way, the clothes that you wear is some attempt at being extraordinary. We long for that because God has actually created you that way. He's created you to be extraordinary. Now, if you were to think about it, 
on your life, if you had to sort of measure yourself on a scale, you know, for like one being ordinary, like boring, not interesting, to 10 being the most fascinating person in the world, where would you sort of put yourself on that scale? One is ordinary, boring, not going to stand out in a crowd. 10 is there is always a crowd following you wherever you go. Where would you put yourself on that scale? You know, I, if you were to be really honest, where would you put yourself? Now, there's where you'd want yourself to be, but where would you honestly put yourself? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Like, for real, we're going to really do this. It's not like a, like a metaphorical question. Where would you put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? How many of you would say that you are at least 9 or 10? Raise your hand. I am a fascinating, extraordinary person. Okay. Not a lot of us. Okay, good. How many of you say, not me, I love minivans. I'm a one to two kind of person, I, and nothing wrong with minivans. Like, that's, like that, beige is my tone. I am that, okay, so how many of you, honestly, if you had to measure yourself, you're somewhere between like four and seven. Raise your hand. Yeah. Just so you know, that's the most ordinary thing you can say. <laughs> because all of us, like, would be, like, I want to play it safe. I don't want to step out and be noticed one way or the other. That's okay. Because none of us strives for that, but all of us somehow settle for ordinary. As long as I can remember in my life, I've never been okay with ordinary. It wasn't just okay. I, like, it bothered me. Ordinary bothered me. And so for like every part of my life, I would try as long as I can remember. You know, at a certain, like right, right around the time I got to middle school, it was my goal to be the most extraordinary middle person in my little tiny Christian middle school with 48 kids in my class. I had my work cut out for me. I was going to be the most interesting person in my class. And so like when everyone else was totally content to listen to Bon Jovi, I was listening to The Cure, okay? I was listening to Depeche Mode, okay? My mixtapes ruled over your mixtapes, right? I had music, like my brother is three and a half years older than me. I was listening to his albums. I like, I'm already over Duran Duran. Like that's kind of where I was at when everyone else was sort of content to whatever. Like when people were shopping at Macy's or Sears or Kmart, I went to the thrift store in middle school. Like, I was all about it. And I was like, I remember going with, with my buddy, we would like, it was about a mile and a half from his house. We would walk every Saturday to Thrift Village because it's 50% off day on Saturday. And I would buy like the coolest, funkiest stuff because that's who I am in middle school. And I remember coming home one time with a softball jersey written entirely in Korean. I had no idea <laughs> what it said, but I'm like, who else has the Korean softball jersey in my Christian middle school? No one. Me. Well, everyone else was totally content to pick up a football, a baseball. I picked up a skateboard because I'm a nonconformist. That's how I roll. And so, like, that's all of who I was. None of it, however, can explain this little phase of my life. But that's another story for another time. And we will move on from that picture and we'll put it on. Okay, so that's just gone. But I wanted to be extraordinary as long as I can remember. That was so important to me. And I know that that's important to you at some level. No one strives for ordinary, but somehow all of us settle for it. Somehow all of us settle for it. And there's something inside of you, even as I'm, ta- like as I'm talking about this tonight, it just bothers you. That whole idea of being ordinary bothers you. And you, you know that you are meant for something more than that. You just don't quite know how to get there, or get back to there, or what that even looks like. Because the truth is, you were created for more than ordinary. You were created by an extraordinary God to live an extraordinary life. The writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way, that God has actually put eternity in your heart. 
that God has put eternity inside your heart, but you can't even see the full scope of who God is or what he's doing, but it's in there. You have a holy discontent with normal and ordinary. Whether you can put words on it or a finger to it or not, you know that that's not what you were created for, something simple and plain. The truth is you were created by an extraordinary God to live an extraordinary life. But the problem is for so many of us, the place where we get stuck and lost and slowly slide into settling is that we have somehow created for ourselves a God who is less than extraordinary. That we have somehow not only settled on sort of who we are and what we're supposed to be about, and so we just keep on going to work and we keep on doing the same thing and we keep on doing, hanging with the same group of people. My hunch is if you were to trace that all back, it comes back to the bottom line that you have somehow, through your own assumptions about who God is, wherever you may be at on your spiritual journey, have created a God who is less than extraordinary. Which is fascinating for you to think about. Have you conformed God to the mold of ordinary and predictable? And in some way, if we were to be really honest, controllable. A God that works for your ordinary life. We create for ourselves a God who is all about just sort of playing by the rules. And if you just play by the rules and you play it straight, you'll be fine in this life. We've somehow created for ourselves a God who really only likes perfect people. And if that's you, great. But for the rest of us, not so much. We've created a God for ourselves that is sort of our dust him off on Sunday kind of God. And we just kind of, you know, or it's our go-to God. When we're in a jam or when we really need something. I had a friend was telling me this last week, like he's not really a praying person. He wouldn't even call himself a, a Jesus following person. But he's like, you know what, like, when I pray every now and then, it's like it's only usually when things get really bad. Like he's got no other cards to play, and so he'll resort to praying. And for some of us, that's sort of the ordinary God we've created for ourselves. A God who just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be happy all the time. That's the God that you've somehow settled for. It's a one-dimensional God. For many of us, honestly, it is an ordinary God that we have made to work for our ordinary lives. And the crazy thing is, we don't even like that God that much. We have somehow conformed God to our ordinary view of the world. And we don't even really like that God that much. Why? Because you were created by an extraordinary God to live an extraordinary life and to settle for nothing less. That's the tension that we find ourselves in. And I just wonder if, if maybe, just maybe, like the cure to the common life, the cure to your common career, the cure to sort of your common relationships and the patterns and trajectory of your life is not more self-help, although that can be self-helpful. It's not sort of trying harder. It's not even making a bucket list, if anyone even really does that. I think the cure to the common life comes from a relationship with an extraordinary God. I just believe it. And we're about that at this church, of helping people have an extraordinary life in relationship with an extraordinary God. See, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God of your life is far more extraordinary than you could even possibly 
imagine. And this book is filled with story, as Matt said earlier, story upon story upon story, verse after verse after verse, telling the truth of an extraordinary God. Whether you agree with it all or not, it is an extraordinary story of an extraordinary God. And one of the writers of the Bible that captures this so well that we're going to camp out on for a few moments is David. King David, he's this warrior, poet, king, and he captures so well just how extraordinary God is. And he does it really well in one specific psalm. So you know the book of Psalms? It's kind of right in the middle. You have, hopefully, if you have a Bible, have it open to Psalm 145. David, in that psalm, speaks so well to how extraordinarily great God is and how extraordinarily good God is at the same time. And we want to take a few moments just to read that to you about how great God is and how good God is. So let's take a few moments. You have your Bible, keep them open, Psalm 145. Let's look at the greatness of God as described by David in Psalm 145. We'll start at verse 1 and move down to verse 7. We'll put it up on the screen so you have it to read along with us. David says these words. He says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Let's just pause right there right now. It says, every day I will extol, praise your name. I will, my Bible says extol. I will extol your name. This is one of those kind of bible words that we don't really use that often, right? It's like how many of you are like, man, did you see that movie uh, Social Network? Yeah, I totally did. Dude, I just want to extol how awesome David Fincher is. I just want to extol Justin Timberlake right now. I want to crown Justin Timberlake with many crowns. We don't use a lot of words like that, right? This is one of those Bible words that maybe doesn't say that in yours. It just means, I want to make known. That's what David's saying here. I want to make known how great you are. Verse 3, because great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness, David's making a point here, no one can fathom. One generation will commend or tell of your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty. And I will meditate on your works. I will meditate on your works. Listen to what David says. They tell the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And this is amazing, amazing how David says, look, you have to understand this about God. He is no ordinary God. He is great. And we see it written all throughout these pages. We see God's greatness revealed all throughout these pages. But we don't even have to open a Bible to see God's greatness at work. You can just look around you and see the greatness of God, his extraordinary greatness on display. You think about where we're at in the universe, where our tiny little planet is at in the middle of our galaxy, in the middle of this universe, and how it's hung perfectly on exactly the right axis, so much so that if we were one inch one way or one inch the other, we'd either all fry or we'd all freeze. It's amazing to consider just how great the galaxies that surround us are. All of them point to the extraordinary greatness of God and his creative hand places that we will never even know or visit or even see, all created by an extraordinarily great God. You zoom all the way into your own body, and it it displays, it reveals the greatness of God. Now, you may not think of it as great, but God does, because right now, your body is actually working. Every breath that you're taking, every time your heart is pumping and cleansing blood, 
The fact that you are seeing me right now, that you're hearing the words that I'm saying, that your mind is saying, how can someone so young and so handsome have such wisdom for my life? Like, that's the greatness of God at work, right? That's, maybe? Okay, that's the greatness of God at work. Your body actually works. It points to a great God. No ordinary God could do that. And it's happening all the time. We see it in creation. You walk outside this space tonight and you see the greatness of God on display every season, every month, every hour, every minute of every day. It's beautiful. Chicagoans know this. No one delights in and at the same time despises weather more than us. When it's grayed out, we're grayed out. When it's not, we're not. We see it. When you kind of get out of the city and you go and see these things called hills. Now, you have to get out of Illinois to see those, but you go out there and you see God's beauty and you see it just rolling and you're surrounded by it. You see God's greatness like a beautiful piece of art that surrounds you every day, pointing to the extraordinary greatness of God. God's greatness is all around you if you will look and see. And I remember a few years ago, this is quite a few years ago, Jeannie and I were driving from Chicago to San Francisco, where I'm from originally, where I grew up. And uh, we were going through Arizona, and we kind of got to the point where we realized she'd never seen the Grand Canyon before. I was like, oh, wait, Grand Canyon. you got to see the Grand Canyon. As though it's my Grand Canyon to show her. So we pull into the Grand Canyon. We're going to go see the Grand Canyon. But if you've been to the Grand... How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon before? Just, okay, you don't just pull up to the Grand Canyon. There's a process. You enter the park, and then it's like another 30, 45-minute drive, right? And when we went, it was like January 3rd, all right? So it was covered in snow. And when we got to the park, we got in, there was no one around us. Not a single person. And so we're driving the 8800 Prelude, just getting sideways a little bit, driving a Grand Canyon, all the snow. We haven't seen a single person. And now I'm thinking, oh, man, this really is my Grand Canyon. This is going to be a nice little moment for me and Jeannie. This is great. So we get to where we're going to like actually get to the edge and look in over it and, and we pull up and sure enough, there's two people there. We haven't seen anyone for almost an hour and there's two people. And not only two people, they're hippies. I love hippies, but I mean, just, yeah. They, and it's like almost a cliche. They had the Volkswagen micro bus. They had the straight up Cheech and Chong old school bus going on. And so, you know, I'm like, I can't really turn around because they've like seen me pull up, right? I'm probably the only people they've seen in an hour or so. So, we pull up, and G and I both kind of get out to the edge, and you, know, you don't really know what to do in those moments, right? No one, this is beautiful. You know, what do you, throw a coin in? Like, you don't really know what to do. You're just supposed to take it in, right? You're just, you probably shouldn't throw a coin in. So you just sort of take it in, and it was covered in snow. And so you know how it gets when it's real, like that fresh snow, and everything's just quiet and still. And there we are, surrounded by extraordinary creation and creativity of God. And we're there. And the hippies are there. And we're just kind of looking at it. <laughs> you don't do anything. You're just kind of looking, nodding every now and then as though something just spoke to you. Yes. And then out of nowhere, after a few minutes of us standing there, the hippies, true story, looked over at us and they were wrapped up in like some sort of peace blanket. I don't exactly know <laughs> what it was. And they look at us and they go, and they open up their blanket to us. <laughs> and like, you know, what are you supposed to do in that moment? I already don't know what to do with the Grand Canyon. Now I have hippies wanting to invite me in. And so, honestly, they just open up their blanket and you can't say, you know, I can't like throw it off to the next person like, it's the hippies want you. Like, we're the only people there. 
And so Gene and I, kind of without talking, without having really spoken at all, just kind of go, we just sort of <laughs> go on in and get in sort of one big hippie snuggy moment where we just sort of are wrapped up there in this true story. And there's a lot, I don't know if it's a contact high, but something was going on where the four of us are wrapped up there, seriously haven't said a word to each other. We're just all, you know, like spooning together, looking at the Grand Canyon. And after a few moments, you know, I'm just kind of like, I think, I think I'm done with the hippies and the Grand Canyon. And so, you know, I said, thank you guys so much. And we got back in our car and we, we left. And, you know, I don't know uh, where those two were at when it comes to God. I have no idea because we didn't talk. I have no idea where it comes to where they're at with God. But I know exactly where I was at in that moment because I was surrounded by the extraordinary greatness of God who painted a moment for the four of us. We were the only ones there. And it felt as though all of creation belonged to us in that moment. We see the greatness of God on display all around us. If we will look, there is nothing ordinary about what God creates. We've created ordinary. He created extraordinary. And it's on display. His greatness is all around you. And for those of us who have a hard time maybe believing in God's greatness, that he is an all-powerful God, or as our son Elijah likes to say, that God has all the power. For those of us who have a hard time believing that, our prayers and our lives suffer for it. Because we settle for an ordinary God who we believe cannot do what we need only him to do. And so there are things in our life, there are real needs that we have, there are places where we have hit a wall, there are things where we are powerless to move forward, and we need a God who can step in and be all-powerful, a God who is extraordinarily great, a God who can, a God who actually can. And for some of us, that's what you need to hear. I, I can't possibly begin to understand if God will or how he will, I just know that he can because he is extraordinarily great, all-powerful God. Whatever it is in your life, he is powerful enough. He is great enough, greater than you could even possibly imagine. But David doesn't stop at the greatness of God. He goes on. If you read on in Psalm 145, David continues to then talk about not only the greatness of God, but the goodness of God. A God who not only can, but a God who actually cares. Psalm 145, verse 13, we'll kind of start down there. It says that the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. That the Lord upholds those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. As the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. David says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does, and that he is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry, and he saves them. This is just a glimpse at the goodness of God. Because not only is God great, extraordinarily great, he's extraordinarily good. Because a God who is all-powerful, 
all-powerful, without being all-loving, is the God of legalism, and he's a God to be feared. There's no relationship with an all-powerful God who is not all-loving. Just as there is no great relationship with a God who is all-loving, but not all-powerful. That's just hallmark bumper sticker sentimentality. We have a God who is extraordinarily great. We see it a display all around us, and at the same time, in the same measure, extraordinarily good. He's just as good as he is great. That means that he is not only a God who can, he is a God who cares. Who cares. Greatness on a grand level. Love on the most micro level you could imagine. He cares for the details of your life. He is extraordinarily good. He is the God who created grace. He is the God who extends mercy. He is the God of the second and third and fourth and four thousandth chance. He is the God that you run home to. He is the God who cares, who is good. And David paints it so well and we miss it so often that we have a God who cares about every facet of our life. And for many of us, the reason our lives are less than extraordinary is because we have a God who we don't believe cares. And so we are left to sort of settle on our own, struggle on our own, strive to figure it out on our own because I don't want to either get God involved or I'm afraid if I get God involved, he's going to mess things up. And so we just continue to go on missing the extraordinary goodness of God. And I know, I know that at some level you have felt and experienced His goodness. That there have been times when you have been so low and there was a strength that you had that was not your own. There have been times where you have run so far and yet you found the second you turned around that God has been running after you every step of the way. You have found when your finances are depleted and you don't know where it's going to come from next. And God provides. You know, I know you know, you have sensed or experienced the goodness of God. And that is his extraordinary love breaking through your ordinary life, saying there is more to this and there is more to me. God is good. Unlimited power, unconditional love. A God who can, who absolutely can, who has the power, and yet a God who cares, who loves, who has compassion. That is our extraordinary God. And the longer that we paint him into a box that fits the outline of our life, the more we will miss life as we are meant to live it. We are the ones who created ordinary. God created extraordinary. And he expects nothing less of you. So why would we expect less from him? Why would we expect less than an extraordinary God? My hunch is, 
my hope is that the cure to my common life and the moments where I feel so uninteresting and off purpose and maybe missing the point is a relationship with an extraordinary God. It is knowing an extraordinary God. And my hunch is for you that before we get into all kinds of other stuff we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, that we just need to stop and camp out and say, God, could it be true that you are extraordinarily great and extraordinarily good? And I have maybe missed that or misunderstood that or settled for something less than that. And I know that we have folks all over the spiritual spectrum in this room. Some of you, this is the first time in a very long time that you've walked into the doors of a church. I know that. And this is a big thing for you to wrestle with. At the same time, I know that we have folks who've been doing the church thing for a long time. And you might as well have been born in a baptismal, raised on bread and wine. Like you've heard this before. And if anything, this is a harder truth for you to let sink into your life. Because you've been doing this a long time. And somehow, somewhere along the way, you have settled for a God less than extraordinary. And yet each, each one of us has that eternity placed in our heart that we hope for and long for more. We believe at the center of what Soul City is, and I believe at the center of my life, that the cure for the ordinary common life is a relationship with an extraordinary God. And for some of you this weekend, that is the single next step. That is the best next step. Is to say, you know what? That's what I need. I know that's what I need. I can keep trying. I can keep trying to be more interesting, more funny. I can do all kinds of things. Change my wardrobe, change my job, try and start a nonprofit, do whatever I have to do, grow a mustache, whatever it takes to be more interesting or fascinating. But I know in my heart that it starts with a relationship with an extraordinary God. And we want to provide the space and the opportunity for us to experience that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if our little church here in the West Loop of Chicago, if our little church actually believed in an extraordinary God? What might happen if we actually had a relationship with a God who's extraordinarily great and a God who's extraordinarily good? What might people think or say about us? These people actually love God. And they're actually loved by God. And when they pray, they actually believe God hears, God cares, and God moves that these people are so free with their lives, with their resources, with their time, with their relationships, because there is something extraordinary at the center of it all. And that is a relationship with an extraordinary God. Can you imagine that there's no need for PR, there's no need for trying to get the word out. That alone, if we were to truly have relationship with an extraordinary God, would be the single greatest thing to see our city and our neighborhood transformed. Because when you and I actually live it, and believe it. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a challenge, an extraordinary challenge for the next seven days. See, because we believe here at Soul City that moments we have together have to lead to movement in our life. That's how we grow and change. If we were just all come together and feel good and have a church and then go on with life, nothing changes. But we believe that God moves and moves us. And so the extraordinary challenge for the next seven days is this. We are going to be a church that no matter where you're at when it comes to God and the praying thing, you can actually pray this prayer. It starts like this. God, I believe you can 
dot, dot, dot. You fill it in. Or, God, I believe you care about dot, dot, dot. You fill it in. Those two words, God, I believe you can, and God, I believe you care. What if, for one week, that's how we prayed? That's where we started. God, I believe you can do this in my life. God, I believe you can be more powerful than my fear. God, I believe you can meet me in this loneliness. God, I believe you can provide for me like only you can. Or God, I believe you care about my past and I don't need to hide in it or run from it any longer. God, I believe you care about the people I work with. And so God, if I start my prayer there, I will start my day there. And maybe, just maybe, our lives might begin to change when we start with an extraordinary God. So that's the homework. That's your challenge for this week is to actually pray like you believe God can and that you believe God cares, that he is both great and good. And our firm belief is that when we start there, our life becomes more extraordinary because we see God move and we see God on display in our life and in our church and it changes us and it changes things around us. So, that's the homework. But I know who you are. Because, like, I know how I am. You can go, yeah, that's great. I'm going to totally do that. I'm going to totally do that. And then you're going to leave here, and you're going to go have some wings, or you're going to go do something, and, and life's going to come, you're going to remember all you have to do to get ready for work or school tomorrow, and it's going to be lost in the shuffle. So instead of just starting tomorrow, we're going to create space here tonight to do that. And I'm going to ask Matt and the band to, to come back up right now. We're going to create a little space for an extraordinary God to speak to us in our lives, to move in our lives. And as they're coming up, I'm actually going to ask uh, some of our leaders that we've asked ahead of time, prepared ahead of time, to make their way around the room. And we're going to create some space for you to be prayed for. For you to be prayed for. This doesn't get to happen, it doesn't happen enough in our lives, Right? Because friends give you advice. Oprah and Dr. Phil tell you what to do. You can read a book to try and figure it out. But it's very rarely that we actually have someone pray for us. And so we're going to have some leaders right over here in this corner. And we're going to have some leaders make their way right now over to this corner. And we're actually going to have some leaders in the back as well. And we want to encourage you to not wait, but to actually take an extraordinary risk right now and come and be prayed for. Now, I know what you're thinking. They're like, Ah, it's weird. I got to stand up and walk, be, like, be in front of people. I know, it's a lot. But I know, I, I know how complex and intense our lives can be. And I know that there is space in your life where you are not maybe convinced that God is great or that God is good. And there's a thing in your life, a space in your life where you need God to move, where you need to know that he is there and that he cares. And so we're going to have our leaders over in this corner, this corner, in the back, We're just going to take a few minutes, and I would strongly encourage you to let yourself be prayed for. These aren't counselors. They're not going to, like, you know, fix problems for you. They're not going to help you find a job while the music's playing. Like, that's not what they're here for. They're here to love you and to pray for you and to stand with you and for some of us tonight to actually stand for you in a place where it's very difficult for you to stand. And for you to say, you know what? I get it. There, I get it. I know that there are some things in my life I just need to be prayed for because this is something I keep hitting my head against and I keep hitting the wall on. And it's going to be a big risk, but an extraordinary life happens when we take extraordinary risks like this.
So whatever it may be, if there is some place in your life where you need to know and hear again that God can, that he is all-powerful, or that he cares and he's all-loving, would you please take the next few moments, it's only going to be for a few moments, to come and let yourself be prayed for and to let it sink deep into your life that you can have a relationship with a God, an extraordinary God who loves you and is powerful and longs to see you live the life he created you to live. So let me just pray for you, and I just encourage you to go and find one of these folks, to be prayed for for just a few minutes, and then for us to worship together. God, thank you so much for who you are. Who are we, God? We want to know who you are and how extraordinary you are, God, and how great and how good you are. And by so, God, we want to not only know you, we want to actually have relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you provided the way for us to do that, to have a transforming relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that you would remind us in a way that only an all-powerful and all-loving God can tonight, that you are here, that you care, that you can, and you are waiting for us to come to you tonight. God, I pray for people. It's been a long time since they've even uttered or said some of these words. God, I pray tonight that they would find the courage to just let themselves be loved by you tonight and transformed by you tonight, we pray, God. We come to you, God, because only you can. Only you care for us like nothing else and no one else in this world.